Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in New Orleans to speak with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans about the uh, the New Orleans Pelicans' somewhat iffy start to this season and the injury to Alfred Payton. We'll then go to the Bay Area to speak with Charles Hamilton of Locked On Warriors about the uh, the Warriors' current losing streak and uh, and what that means for this team moving forward. And lastly, we'll head to LA to speak with Charles Mockler of Locked Locked on Clippers to speak about the surprising Clippers team who is uh, surging up the standings in the Western Conference. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am, of course, your Monday host, Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, as well as the lead analyst at Basketball Monster. We're going to be talking about all the goings-on in the NBA, talking some Clippers, talking some Warriors, and talking some Pelicans. So let's get to it. Let's bring in the host now of uh, of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, and of course, one of your Locked On NBA hosts as well. It is Jake Madison here to talk about the uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, who have started out this season, I guess, a little bit shaky at the time of recording. They're currently nine and seven. Jake, I think a lot of people would have had higher expectations for the Pelicans, especially New Orleans people and Pelicans supporters. Injuries have been a, a big factor. Is is that the major reason for some of these early hiccups that have been a part of the the Pelicans early early season? Yeah, you know, if it's not the biggest factor, it's certainly one of maybe the top two. Losing Alfred Payton for the number of games they had, that's been a big blow to them. They were looking to him to really replace the production and kind of pulling the strings on the offense that Rajon Rondo provided last season. And then after losing him for the Lakers, not having him there forces Drew Holiday to kind of take on a larger role, more of a playmaking distribution role that he's not necessarily the most comfortable with. And you've seen that kind of impact his defense at times over the past six games or so. He's kind of been a terror on that end. But at times, he's a kind of quiet offensive games because he's just being asked to do a little too much more so than he's comfortable. And he's really much better kind of playing off ball or sharing ball handling duty. So I think that's kind of the big thing. You know, you've seen Anthony Davis out for a couple of games. He had that right elbow injury. Then he comes back in and he wasn't nearly as effective. And that's going to lead you to losing some games. But when you look at this team, particularly after the 4-0 start that they had, there's been no bad loss necessarily that I would say there. You know, they went on a six-game road trip playing playoff teams. You're probably going to lose some of those, particularly when you don't have AD or an AD not at 100% and you don't have Alfred Payton. So, you know, I think it's just they need to kind of weather the storm right now. You could look at some other issues maybe on the defensive side of the ball, and that defense certainly hasn't been there like it was at the second half of last season when they made that strong run and into the playoffs. If that gets righted and once this team gets healthy, I'd expect him to be fine overall. In terms of the Alfred Payton injury, he missed all those games with an ankle injury, returned, played eight minutes, and then suffered a fractured finger, which yeah, initially the report was from Alvin Gentry that he was going to be day-to-day, but then the next day it came out that he was going to be having surgery. So what sort of time frame are we looking here for Payton's return? 
You know, they haven't announced anything yet. I think before it sounds like it will need surgery. They're going to get him kind of evaluated by another doctor or two to just kind of see exactly what they need to be. You know, you're probably looking anywhere from 10 to 20 games, likely 15 to 20. The Pelicans have been kind of playing it pretty safe with injury this year. It's to his left hand, at least, which is certainly a good thing for him. Um, but he's going to be missing, you know, a chunk of the year. And at this point now, you're looking at maybe half the year, you know, 30 plus games total with the past number of games that he's already missed. It's a big blow to this team. They'll then have to kind of integrate him back in. Guys are going to need to kind of learn their roles. And it prevents this team from maybe getting that chemistry and gelling like they'd like to be in that like latter half of the season when you try and make a big playoff push or improve your seeding. So certainly it hurts, but they're going to be without him for a little while now. Let's talk about, you know, it's one of the offshoots of that Peyton injury. Of course, Wes Johnson moves into the starting lineup, but Drew Holiday moves across to point guard. But a guy that I think a lot of, you know, NBA fans in general wouldn't be aware of is Etwan Moore, who's been really putting up some big numbers, had a couple of back-to-back 30-point games. He's shooting at 56% from the field this season. And well, that's extremely high. This is not necessarily unheard of for this guy who has had multiple 40% three-point shooting seasons, but he has really taken his game to another level to try and fill some of this uh, gap, I guess, with Holiday moving into more of that playmaking role. He's, he's taking on more of that role at, at his natural position of shooting guard. Yeah, he's been outstanding for the Pelicans this season. And, you know, he's played a lot out of position at the three, being forced to defend elite wing players, which I think kind of hampers him on the offensive end when you're spending all of that energy on the defensive side of the ball. And now that Wes Johnson's kind of slid into the starting lineup and given the Pelicans some sort of not good, not even necessarily above average wing play, but at least competent wing play, which is something this team hasn't had really in a very, very long time. It's allowed Etwan Moore to be back at shooting guard, kind of go up against guys that he kind of fits better against defensively and offensively. And you're seeing him move off ball a little bit more now. He's all of a sudden realizing he doesn't have these long arms draped all over him. So you're seeing off ball movement, pin down screens, different things like that to kind of get him opening curl cuts. He's got that mid-range float shot, which I think has been pretty good. He's been shooting well from three and he's driving to the rim just a little bit more and overall he, he's kind of been like the unsung hero for this pelicans team and he's been putting up good numbers you don't hear him complaining or anything like that he's playing adequate defense on the perimeter now that he's playing the two guys that he can kind of handle a little bit easier and so i think just overall it's all been good for his game and he's been a real important piece for this pelicans team not just this year but in past years as well but it's starting to get a little bit more noticeable this season we talked about Anthony Davis a little bit earlier on. Of course, he is the main star on this team. I'm not going to get into trade talk or anything like that with you, Jake. I'm sure that frustrates you to, to no end. But I do want to talk about some of the changes in Anthony Davis's game this season, at least from a statistical point of view. His efficiency hasn't quite been at the same level as we'd seen in previous seasons. Like last season, we're talking about a true shooting of 61%. He is down under 58% this season because he just is hasn't been as efficient on his two-point shots. Is that uh, an, an offensive? Um, yeah, change in the way he's playing is it the pairing of, of Miritich and Randall with him that is changing what he's doing that's causing these shots you know, to, to be a lower efficiency or is it just a, a simple case that the shots just aren't going in that they normally would uh, it's a bit of both you know the, last season he really focused on shots in the paint at the rim in the restricted area and from the three-point line and years 
prior to that, he had a pretty strong mid-range jumper game. You know, you could run him in a pick-and-pop situation from 14, 18, 16 feet, whatever it was, and it looked pretty good. He kind of abandoned that last year, and now that defenses are really keyed in on getting him out of the paint and not letting him score that way, he's had to rely more on that longer mid-range jumper, which is just a uh, you know, a less efficient shot than overall. So I think it's a shot selection thing. Part of that's the way that defenses are kind of keen in on him. And then part of it is also with a guy like Julius Randle, who's kind of playing that down low spot when they're down on the court. Anthony Davis needs to be the court spacer for him. So it pushes him further away, more mid-range opportunities, more three-point opportunities. And I think that's kind of the reason his efficiency has dipped. It's just a shot selection thing. You know, if he gets that back, I think it'll certainly be a good thing and the numbers will go up. But he's still having a pretty tremendous season here in New Orleans. Yeah. Yes, he's had seven consecutive 20-point scoring games, back-to-back 40-point scoring games. But one other thing that I've noticed that has changed with Davis's game is the the passing and the assist numbers, Jake. Last season, he had seven total games where he had five or more assists. So far this season, in the uh, 13 games that he's played, he's had eight games of five or more assists. So it is, it's a, it's a stark difference in terms of how much he is you know, giving these assists off. What was that? You know, some people have posited to me that perhaps that's the 14-second offensive rebound shot clock more you know, guys grabbing rebounds and trying to kick it out to try and get this shot happening a little bit earlier rather than you know, after that offensive rebound, your know, teams getting the board, passing it around multiple times that it's one pass and shoot. Is that what it is or is there a definite change in his playmaking abilities this season? No, I think it's a definite change in his playmaking abilities. This is a guy who's finally starting to be able to recognize double teams the second or two before they get to him and trap him with the ball. So as long as he can make the right read, he can usually make the right pass and get it to a guy who's working off ball like Drew Holiday or each one more or to an open shooter like uh, Nikola Mirotic or to Julius Randle down low. And it's just it's a basketball IQ thing. He's kind of learning this. He's learned how to pass out of double teams, out of triple teams a little bit more. Where in years past, when he was really the only offensive option on this team you could double him you could sometimes triple him and it usually end up in a turnover a really badly contested shot that he would take because he didn't know how to pass out of those situations this is where i think it's been the most important thing for the pelicans he's elevated his game in that aspect We've been waiting to see this for years from him. It was maybe one of those kind of final pieces to him really becoming kind of just a monster basketball player, really elevating to a top five guy. And now that he's done that, I think it's it's a real big thing. It's not necessarily because of those offensive rebounds. He grabs those. He usually puts them back himself. He doesn't need to kick out of that, certainly. So it's really just him recognizing double teams in a basketball IQ thing. But certainly, I'm glad you asked about it because I was going to say, that's really been the biggest thing to me with him this year is the passing ability. The Pelicans have an interesting schedule coming up. We're all going to be watching on Wednesday when uh, Anthony Davis faces off against Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers if you want to hear about the the result of that game and the rest of the Pelicans' uh, action this week. And for the season ahead, check out Locked On Pelicans with Jake Madison. Jake, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA today. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Josh. The Locked On Podcast Network is doing unprecedented things on both Twitter and on Instagram. you got to go follow us on both of those at Locked On NBA Net. Uh, it's Twitter and on Instagram. On Twitter, you get a uh, conglomerate feed of all of the individual hosts across the entire network. So breaking news, injuries, all that sort of stuff into one feed. So locked on NBA net. And then on Instagram, we digest the biggest stories of the day into the Instagram story feature. So check that out as well as longer, deeper cuts through our regular Instagram feed. So it's locked on NBA net on both Twitter and on Instagram. 
And now we welcome in the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast, Charles Hamilton. This Warriors team, uh, obviously a little bit of drama going on over the last week. We're not going to rehash too much of the Draymond Green and Kevin Durant stuff as we've covered that fairly extensively here on Locked On NBA. But Charles, um, I guess we're going to talk more about the, the encore play of the Warriors because they're coming off a, a loss yesterday to the Mavericks. We're recording this before Sunday's game against the Spurs. They have uh, they've lost their last two games. They've lost three of their last four. They've lost um, four of their last six games. Is this just a simple case of Steph Curry not being there, or are there other things not working with the on-court product we're seeing from the Warriors? Well, it definitely is part of um, Steph Curry not being there is a huge part of it. Like His injury kind of happened at the worst part during this early schedule because of who they've played. I mean, a rough stretch here with the, the Texas road trip, and then they have... OKC and Portland coming up as well. There is some on-court stuff that isn't working, and I know a lot of Warriors fans agree with some of Steve Kerr's rotation decisions and you know who he starts and whatnot. He he at first started Quinn Cook in place of Steph Curry, which even though he's you know a liability defensively, is probably their at least this season, second best three point shooter, considering the struggles clay is going through and KD not really taking as many as he used to. Uh, and then after two or three games of him starting, he goes with Andre Guadalla against the Rockets. And that just has really killed spacing. And Andre, as we know, is not much of a, a scorer. At least he does other things offensively. And he did the same thing yesterday, uh, starting Andre and Jonas Jarebko in place of Draymond. Also Draymond being out obviously hurts as well, but about halfway through the first, uh, I think Jarebko picked up his second foul and he puts in Kavon Looney, or excuse me, Kavon Looney was already in. He puts in Damian Jones with him, which just absolutely kills spacing to the 10th degree. Uh, you really couldn't get a a less versatile scoring lineup out there. And after about a minute of that, of that he goes with uh, Marcus Derrickson, who's a two-way player, a, a stretch four, and then Damian Lee, who's another two-way player, who's also more of a, a scorer. I'm hoping to see more of that in today's game and then moving forward with, with Steph out. But it just really shows that with the Warriors, they, they're looked at as this deep three-point shooting team. They're just incredibly top-heavy and great at it at the top. But once you get past Steph and once Clay, I mean, Clay is having his worst shooting year so far. It's only, what, 17 games in? Uh, I expect him to be fine. But as far as right now, yeah, there's some on-court stuff and some rotational stuff, but for the most part, for the long term, I'm not worried, at least. I, I do expect some more losses in the short term, but in the long term, not really worried because they are going to get Steph back. Draymond's going to come back. Boogie's going to join the team. Alfonso McKinney's also out. Not a huge difference, but he's, he's wing depth. He's, he's a role player for him. So it's mostly injuries right now. Touching on those shooting numbers, Durant shooting just 35% from three, Draymond shooting 22% from three, Clay Thompson's under 33% from three, and these are obviously your four main guys, and only one of them, Steph, is uh, is shooting uh, a, a sensational level. He's at 49% from three, but those mm-hmm. other guys just can't seem to hit those shots. But I do want to talk about these rotational decisions and yeah, removing Damian Jones from the starting lineup against the Mavericks. Was that a one-time thing, do you think? Because I would have thought that the way that, that you know, initially the, the justification for starting Jones at the start of the season was, oh, we're going up against a couple of big centers in Stephen Adams on opening night. And then he just stuck with that role. But DeAndre Jordan, to me, is that big center that Damian Jones would have a better time matching up against. So why was that decision made? And why is Steve Kerr so anti-playing Jordan Bell? 
<laughs> I I agree with you on last night. Exactly. DeAndre Jordan seems like the matchup that would, you know, <laughs> dictate Damian Jones starting. Uh, he trusts Kevon Looney the most. Kevon Looney has played uh, probably the best, most consistent out of all three centers. Um, Damian Jones played well. He still got plenty of minutes last night and coming off the bench and played pretty well. Uh, but yeah, that was one that I just didn't really understand. That was more of a surprise than Andre Iguodala starting. And the Jordan Bell stuff, I just don't know. I Only Steve Kerr knows. I have to imagine there's some sort of, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't practice hard enough. I know they had talked about some immaturity over his rookie year in the offseason, and maybe that's something that hasn't been fixed. Uh, when he has gotten his, his minutes, it's been up and down. He hasn't been the consistent uh, player that you would expect coming into his second year after what he showed his rookie year. But I agree. There are times where Jordan Bell seems like a better choice than Damian Jones or Kevon Looney because of his uh, defensive ability. I uh, Steve Kerb just makes odd decisions based on who he trusts and who he likes more. And he has a major soft spot for Kevon Looney. Um, Jordan Bell had played his best minutes against the Clippers, I believe it was. Maybe it was the Hawks. I, I forget which game. And, you know, then we didn't really see him again for another couple games. I, I don't understand it. I wish I had a better answer. I'd love to get a, an answer from Steve, but uh, yeah, there's got to be something behind the scenes where he just doesn't doesn't trust him as much as he does the other two players. Yeah, it feels like that has to be the case that there is some sort of off-court issue or you know, disciplinary mm-hmm. problem that, that is re- resulting in Bell not playing as much. Some of his advanced numbers aren't quite as good as they were last season. He's actually got a negative 12 on-off this season as opposed to a plus 7 last season, of course. Yeah, really limited minutes, but his other advanced numbers are looking solid. You know, really strong defensive box score plus minus. It is a, a confusing thing, especially with you know the, the absence of David West and Zaza Pachulia, the injury to Demarcus Cousins. I thought that Bell could really establish himself in that second year, take that step forward, but that hasn't been the case. The Andre Iguodala thing was confusing to me. Maybe not so much against the Rockets because we thought, you know, matching up against this team, let's see how potentially a, a playoff type lineup would work without Steph. But you know, going with it against Dallas, do you think that's something that the that Kerr will stick with um, after it hasn't well, hasn't succeeded succeeded at all in the two games that he's tried it? Do you think that he'll go back to Quinn Cook in that role while Curry remains out? Or do you think he'll persist with his Iguodala starting at point guard lineup? It's tough to tell with Steve. I like to think that uh yeah i'm on a first name basis just call him steve (laughs) i like to think that he will make the move to start quinn cook again because he he initially started jordan bell when draymond green was out and then after i think the first game of that happening he went back to jonas jarebko and mentioned that you know it just kills the spacing to have bell and uh damian jones out there and i think he will come to the same realization uh in hopefully this game against the spurs coming up in about an hour and a half Kerr, he he you know he trusts he trusts who he trusts and goes with his gut I guess but I he also made the moves to play a guy like Damian Lee last night big minutes and then that paid off he he was a major spark for the Warriors he was the only one really knocking down threes for him uh, besides Quinn Cook uh, he made the move to to give Marcus Derrickson a couple minutes and then continued to play small with Damian Lee at the four throughout uh, yesterday's game so I do think he's kind of noticing how spacing in, uh, has been killed with some of his moves and and hopefully we'll go with Quinn Cook. As you can tell, I, I prefer Quinn Cook. He's also, I mean, Quinn's shooting, I think, 48% from three this year too. It's not... Uh, uh, 50, 50% on the nose. 
Well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not it's not a major step down. I mean, obviously he's no Steph Curry, obviously, but as far as his offensive ability goes, his scoring goes, I just don't see why he wouldn't be. But uh, I, I get, I'm giving Steve Kerr the benefit of the doubt here for for tonight's game and moving. Well, obviously, the, the Warriors are going to be playing the Spurs, and by the time a lot of you listen to this, will know the result. But after that, they've got a game coming up against the Thunder on Wednesday, and they take on the Blazers on Friday. So a pretty tough schedule here. And if they don't get this win against the Spurs, yeah, they could be looking down the barrel of a, a pretty considerable losing streak. What's the latest on when we're getting uh, Steph Curry back? Steph Curry, so the original... Or the latest update was on the 14th. They said in 10 more days, they're going to reevaluate. So on the 24th, he will be reevaluated. And he was interviewed, uh, I believe, before yesterday's game and mentioned, you know, rehab's going fine. Kind of regular cliche injured player talk, but also mentioned he he was hopeful that on the 24th, he'll be cleared to play or within a couple days after that. So the hope is... By the end of November, he'll be back. But, you know, it's 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 tough to tell because it's just a reevaluation. It wasn't, hey, in 10 days, Steph will be fine. It's we're going to check on him in 10 days. So on the 24th is the next update. And Steph seems optimistic that he'll be good to go then. And if not, then within a couple of days of that. The Warriors play the Kings on the 24th and they have the Magic on the 26th before a matchup against the Raptors on the 29th of November. So I guess we'll get Steph back in uh, one of those three games, probably more the Magic or the Raptors game would be more of the target for Curry to return to this Warriors lineup and they can start getting back to their winning ways. See, Charles, we went through a whole segment and didn't even talk about the Draymond and KD drama. That's how, that's how much Thank other you. stuff there is to talk about with this team. Seriously, the, the Draymond-KD stuff is... It's salacious and fun and, you know, gives, you know, first take a lot to talk about, but there's only so much you can really do about it. It, To me, it's just two teammates going at it and the free agency stuff is, we're not going to know until July. So I don't see a ton of point talking about it in November, but again, it is news and we, we did have to spend some time on it. I, uh, I probably have the unpopular opinion of siding with KD and the team, but oh well, um, Kind of glad it's at least close to over, at least. Yeah, it's it's definitely fading away. But uh, if you want to hear yeah. more uh, more KD Draymond drama takes, make sure Charles you got you got Charles get on his get on his task and make sure he's covering that every single day over on Locked On Warriors. But uh, of course, <laughs> yeah. go check out Locked On Warriors for the uh, the Golden State Warriors recap. So of all games and all the news happening over there, Charles, thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA. Thank you, man. If your company is looking for a new way to reach customers. Advertising on a podcast could be the way to go. You could have your company mentioned right now. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with the sponsors that they hear on their favorite podcasts. Our demographic is 98% male, higher educated, higher earning than your traditional media audiences. Have your company sponsor this podcast. Email me at redrockfantasybasketball at gmail.com. Lastly, I am joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Clippers podcast. It is Charles Mockler, and we're here to talk about the team, Charles. That is uh, the best team in Los Angeles at this uh, at this current <laughs> current uh, stage. They are the fourth seed in the Western Conference, actually tied with the best, uh, the second best record behind the Golden State Warriors with the Thunder and with the Trailblazers, currently sitting at ten and five at the time of us recording this. Is this any sort of a surprise to you? Um, honestly, I mean, yeah, I think it's a surprise to maybe even 
uh, other than the most maybe truly diehard Clippers fans, because when the schedule came out, it was like, you know, we knew the team was a little better than people were giving us credit for, but those first, uh, the first 14 games, we were all kind of talking about maybe being lucky to go 500 over that stretch. So we caught some lucky, you know, we caught the Rockets without a couple, you know, Harden and Chris Paul in two different games, which was nice, but I mean, you know, got to win the games, so we'll take it. Yeah, exactly. You can only beat who is put in front of you to beat them. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what the Clippers uh, have done. They are currently uh, beat beat the Warriors. Of course, you know, we, we can talk about injuries to teams, but they're, they're they beat the Bucks and the Warriors both in overtime games, but two in a row there. They're currently on a uh, a four game win streak as well and have won uh, let me see, six out of their last seven games. So it's a pretty significant run of form that the Clippers are in. They do play the, the Hawks as well coming up on, on Monday and then the Wizards and then the Grizzlies. So there's, there's a potential for this uh, winning streak to continue. What's been the, the major driving force behind it, do you think? Who's been the guy that has really stepped up and taken this team you know, through this you know, current winning streak, but the, the form through the entire course of the season? Um. Performance-wise, I'm going to say Lou Williams. The last couple games, he's just kind of grabbed the last minutes by the throat and done whatever he wanted. Uh, I think he scored the last 10 points for us against the Warriors. Uh, he was huge against the Bucks. Performance-wise, it's been him to kind of ignite it off the bench. But I think just the heart and soul of the team right now is Montrez Harrell. Uh, he's been an absolute monster on both ends of the floor. He's putting up numbers. Player, he's, a, he's been pretty incredible for us. He is still, yeah, the, the backup center, I guess, in name, but it is really just in name only because he's playing the most mm-hmm. minutes of that center position than anyone. But it did, didn't start off the season necessarily that way. It took a while for Doc to get into this pattern, and now he is playing him 25 to 27 minutes a night and, and rotating that starting center. We had Marcin Gortat for a big chunk, then we had a, a small yeah. little whatever that was with Boban Majanovic, <laughs> who is now back out of the rotation. Where, does, where are we looking at with this center spot? Is Boban going to be coming back in? What was that you know, small dalliance that Doc had with starting him and playing him 20 minutes was that a disciplinary thing for Gortat like what was the actual story there um I think so really I think it doc is maybe going a little more matchup based we have those three centers like you mentioned they're all different very different in their own way so it's kind of hard to get I think consistency from that spot and so when the matchups there against a big slower center I think he's maybe going to lean towards Boban every now and then um but yeah it does seem kind of like a mystery uh Gortat's been getting the minutes now uh, they broke his consecutive start streak, which he seemed kind of unhappy about, but it could have been a disciplinary thing. But if it is, he's responded well because he's played good in the last couple of games. Um, but I think Bowen probably still going to be on the bench for a little bit. Back to, to Montrezl Hell, I want to talk about him because he's been, we know last season, and I think, you know, I talked about this when I did season previews at the start of the season, that his ability to come in and be high usage, high efficiency is really key, but he has been able to extrapolate that out to you know, an additional seven minutes per game, but still maintain, actually not even maintaining, increasing his efficiency somehow. Yeah. But one thing I've been impressed with with Harold is he's always struggled from a rim protection standpoint, but Charles, he has improved that significantly this season. He is blocking almost two shots per game, which is Hey, double what DeAndre Jordan did last season. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we were all kind of a little worried about the rebounding situation when uh, DeAndre left, but Trez has kind of tried to work on that too. But, I mean, defensively, he pl- he pretty much, in the offseason, other than recovering from his injury, all he did was play in the Drew League and play in stuff like that. So he's definitely put in work to try and get better uh, at kind of the little things. And like you said, yeah, the blocks have been amazing. I think he had four against the Warriors, which is unbelievable. 
I, I do have those numbers in front of me. I'll just have a look. He did have four against the Warriors. He had three against the Blazers as well. So coming up big in the big-time matchups there too. He has been phenomenal, that real energy guy. And teams literally just haven't been able to slow down what he's been able to do. He just yeah out-efforts you know, 95% of the NBA. Not that he doesn't have skill, but he is just you know, that hard of a worker. They're getting out there. Also rocking one of the best headbands in the NBA at the moment. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. As well. It works well. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm massively into this uh, new laxing or you know, relaxing of the rules in terms of what, what is allowed in terms of headwear. Um, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it complete, but I do want to talk about another guy who's been really exciting for this team, Charles, and that is, of course, the rookie, Shea Gildas-Alexander, who moved oh, into yeah. the starting lineup with Avery Bradley out, and I'm pretty sure that he won't be giving that spot back at any time. What's For people who don't know, who haven't seen much of Shea or haven't seen many Clippers games, you know, for a rookie, he is he is uh, remarkably composed and in control, and he's he's you know, been able to be a success defensively. Yeah, just give us a, a brief synopsis of what Shea has brought in these first handful of games of his NBA career. Uh, well, you nailed it with how he kind of seems a little more composed than a lot of rookies. He has, in terms of when you see him on the court, he's kind of uh, he has that Jason Tatum level of not being overwhelmed by the game. I'm not saying he's as good as Jason Tatum right now. But uh, in terms of the mental aspect, he never really looks like the moment's too big. He might tighten up a little bit, uh, but he's never doing too much type thing. Uh, his mid-range shooting, because we have Sam Cassell as an assistant coach, and he's absolutely opened up his mid-range shooting. He lives at the elbows. Uh, he's very efficient in the mid-range, which is nice because of his length. And he has this, he's one of those guys where when he's on the court, he doesn't look like he's going faster or trying harder than everyone, but he's still somehow getting around guys. So he's got this smooth... Uh, handle about him and he's really good at finishing uh, pivoting off one leg and taking contact and stuff like that so we were excited about him but I think he's he's definitely been a great he's uh you know, overtaken what we initially thought at the beginning of the season, which is fantastic. So he moved into the starting spot when Avery Bradley got hurt, uh, obviously starting alongside Patrick Beverly. He was drafted as a point guard. Do you see, is he playing more of that point guard role alongside Beverly? Will Beverly give the starting spot to Avery Bradley? How are we seeing what, what Shea is doing? Or is he playing mainly off ball? Because you know, I haven't seen every minute of every Clippers game, but the majority of the time I'm seeing, he is playing you know, as as the point guard the majority of the time. Yeah, he really, I mean, someone had a great, I was going back and forth with someone on Twitter, and they said, Shea, uh, the offense runs so great with Shea because Shea actually runs the offense. So when he is playing pure point, it seems like guys are a little more eager to maybe run sets or really try hard to get open because they know he can distribute. I think they will keep uh, Beverly out there just for his defensive purposes. Uh, If Shea, with his length, can learn from Beverly and learn how to play alongside him, that, I mean, would just do wonders for his defense and stuff like that. And Bradley, the timeline still kind of murky. Uh, they've been a little, you know, hush-hush about his injury. But I think they just, they're probably going to keep Beverly out there, uh, even when Bradley comes back with Shea. Yeah, that, that's, I guess that's, it would make the most sense because you know, it's not like Beverly has played well this season uh, necessarily. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, he has struggled and Shea has clearly been the uh, superior guard there, but it has been exciting times for the Clippers so far this season, Charles, and you'll have that all covered over on Locked On Clippers. So thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA and discussing a team that many may, may have uh, seen slip under the radar. Yeah, let's uh, maybe we'll be having a discussion at uh, the All Star break when we're still the second seed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, fingers crossed for you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA for a Monday. Make sure you're following me, Josh Lloyd, on Twitter at redrock underscore b ball, and following the Locked On podcast network at Locked On NBA Net. 
Subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And if you could leave a five-star rating and a review, it would be very, very much appreciated. Tell your friends, share it on social media, all those great ways to get this show out to more people. Make sure you're uh, you're checking out Ben Golliver, Sam Amick throughout the week, and of course, Trevor Booker as a new host of the uh, Locked On NBA show. Check that out too. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.